You are listening to audio from Citizens Church Elmira. You can find more resources and learn more about our church at citizensalmira.ca. So this morning we're starting a short two-week series on missions, and we want to think together as a congregation about this idea of missions. And I don't know what comes to your mind when you think of missions. Maybe a missionary comes to mind, someone who is working in some location around the world. Um, I, this week I was thinking of a missionary that I know who has been in West Africa for, man, almost like 30 years. Um, him and his wife have been there doing work of translation, doing work of church planting, and in a hard context, just faithfully year after year investing and seeing just a few people come to the Lord. But even in the last few years, as I've been getting their updates and their prayer letters, seeing um, the next generation even come to know Christ, like sons of people that were first saved there, you know, 20-some years ago. And so the, the effort is, you know, bearing fruit over time. And over the last century, uh, the increase of missions activity and the fruit of that missions activity has been massive. I don't know if you knew this, but let me just give you some, some information here. So in, in 1900... 82% of Christians in the world were in Europe and North America. 82%. And over the last century, that has almost completely flipped over to where you've got the secularizing of Europe and North America and the active missionary work so that as of 2020, about 70% of all Christians in the world reversal of roles. At the same time, in 1900, there were around 62,000 missionaries that were serving around the world in various contexts. And now, by 2020, there are 420,000 missionaries serving around the world in different contexts. So we want to think here for a couple weeks about missions and what it's about, what does it mean, because... All of us are coming here with different perspectives on missions. And maybe you're thinking that, man, if, if, if your coworkers or if your neighbors who heard the word missions or missionary, they would kind of be shocked that you're still into that idea. Okay? Because they would think that, like, isn't missions and missionary work just like another form of colonization? You know, of kind of white power moving into certain contexts and, you know, doing the work of oppression. And it's, let me just say, it's a valid perspective. It's a valid question. It's a valid and real challenge because missions has actually done that and has been that in a lot of places around the world. So that's why getting a understanding of missions from God's Word is so important. Because when it's messed up, it can do a lot of damage. But when we get it right, we see actually that lives are changed and Christ is glorified. So this morning, we want to think about this. We want to think about how God brings good news of blessing through His people who are sent. God brings good news of blessing through His people who are sent. And we're going to do this by looking at 
Genesis chapter 12, Abram's story. And then next week, Dustin is going to take part two of this series, and he's going to give us the end story. He's going to go to Revelation. So we're going to start here in Genesis. Next week, we go to Revelation to see the end of it. So I know we put the words on the screen every week, but and I know you have it on your phone too, but I just want to encourage you as much as possible to bring your Bibles with you, okay? I know you're going to look around and like nobody's got their Bibles, but this is the start. Okay, I'm going to say this regularly, regularly, regularly. Bring your Bibles so that you can look at the Scriptures yourselves. If you don't have one today, don't feel bad to pull out your phone, okay? You got your Bible app on there. I just find though that the Bible app, I still get texts, I still get emails, and it just distracts me. So we want to like see what God has to say. So this morning, we want to look at Genesis 12, which will help us see and, and give us a, a framework for missions itself. It's like the scaffolding around a building. So remember in 2019 when Notre Dame suddenly was on fire and the majority of the, the roof collapsed and burnt down. I don't know if you've been tracking with that. I'm, I'm fascinated with that project because the, the government of France wants to have it rebuilt to its original beauty by 2025. So if you see the building now, it is surrounded by scaffolding so that workers can get up there and put these massive beams, like bigger than the ones that we're even enjoying here, these massive beams that will hold up the building roof and all these wonderful things. And the scaffolding lets the workers do their work. It holds them in place so that they're able to actually accomplish this great task of rebuilding this beautiful cathedral. And so today in our passage, we're not going to look at all the details. Two words, actually. And then we're going to think about some implications or some applications for us as a church and as individuals. So, the first word is the word go, and it's in verse 1 here that we read from Genesis chapter 12. It says this, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. God comes to Abram and to his wife. If you read the whole story, we see that this is a, a journey for them as a family, that they're going to trust God. And what he says to Abram here is he says, I want you to go. Leave your family, leave your friends, go and, and do something. And this gets to the heart of missions itself. Because when we look at the word missions, and just look at the definition of the word from its Latin roots. It's this, by definition. Missions means being sent and being given a task. That's, if we boil it down to its kind of simplest defined term, missions mean to be sent, and in that sending there is a task or there is something to do. Now, sometimes it's confused with the word missional. We use that word a lot around here. Missional, missional families. And missional and missions, they're not at odds with each other, but they are different, okay? When we talk about missional, we're actually talking about the living and active Spirit of God working within His people, within us, and God being active in the world around us, and now we are interacting with that world as we 
go to work and as we go to church. And so we are active participants in what God is doing around us. So rather than being a church, you know, for us here, rather than being a church that is um, trying to win you with all kinds of great things, like, you know, when you come here in in July and August, it's going to be kind of hot and sticky in here. You'll stick to the pews if you've never experienced a summer in this building. Okay, there's no air conditioning in this building. And some of you were here at different times in the fall and in, you know, when the heater wasn't on, there wasn't great heat. So we're not trying to like attract you here with all kinds of great stuff and keep you here. We're glad that you're here though, okay? And we're glad that you're staying. But that's not how we're trying to build a community of people. We want to be missional in that we want people to come here, people to come into our missional families and experience the presence of God experience a people that is not solely being shaped by culture or by ideas, but they're being shaped by the presence of God. In many ways, the, the missional perspective is more challenging and difficult. It'd be greater, maybe it'd be easier for us just to put on amazing Starbucks coffee or something and to keep people that way. But we're saying, hey, when people come here into our midst, we want them to experience that we are open to the presence of God being in our lives and in each other's lives and to be moving as we go out into the world around us. So this, that's the missional perspective. But missions and the missions that we're thinking about here has more specificity to it. Okay, It is the call of God to go somewhere. And here's a, a larger, more filled out definition. Okay, And that's this. Missions is God's work through the church in reaching across cultural, religious, ethnic, or geographic. That's the same as the first definition, but it's making a little bit more clear what it is God is calling us to do, to, to cross some sort of religious, ethnic, and geographic boundary for the purpose of making disciples. Now, the reason why that more, you know, extended definition is helpful is because it used to be clearer what it meant to to go to another place and do mission work. So if you wanted to reach the French, you know, you're, it was clear that I'm going to go to France or I'm going to go to Quebec. That was like clarity. Or if you wanted to reach Filipino people, you knew I'm going to go to the Philippines. So it was the geographic boundaries and the countries and the languages, though there was some diversity, it was a little bit clearer. But today we live in a world that is um, way more just kind of brought together with the advancement of flight and travel, and even now with the interview, you didn't know this, that over 50% of the people that live there are foreign-born. So I don't know if when the last time you went to the GTA, but you will see this, that the majority of people are actually born in other countries and they have come now to Canada. So that in Toronto alone, there are 170 languages spoken in that city. So I found this statistic that in Toronto, there are 337,000 people from India. And there are over 300,000 people from China. And there's over 200,000 people from the Philippines. Okay, you get what I'm saying here? The world, in many ways, has come 
to Toronto, has come to cities in general. And if you go around the world into all these different countries, you'll see that the world is becoming this giant melting pot. So that the crossing of boundaries and the crossing of languages, where it used to be super simple, now is actually closer than we realize. But why is it that God has decided to send us? Like, God is God. He could do whatever he wants, right? We believe that he can do anything that he chooses. And yet God has chosen to be a sending God. And it's actually in the very nature of God himself. God is a missionary God. So this idea we have of missions is not just something that we experience as followers of Jesus, but it's something that is experienced within the Trinity itself, within the Godhead. As God existed in eternity, missions came to being. It's not a new thing. It is something that comes from God himself. In John chapter 20, after Jesus has lived his life and done his ministry, he dies on the cross, and then he is resurrected. But in John 20, the disciples in the early part of the chapter are not clear on what has happened. They don't realize that he's risen from the dead, and it wasn't in their imagination that this was even going to happen, even though Jesus had kind of told them multiple times, this is what's going to happen. So they're, it says that they're actually hiding in a room, and John, the writer, actually put it pretty clearly in there that they, they bolted the door. So they locked the door. They're afraid. Nobody's going anywhere, okay? So if they heard Jesus say, you're sent, they didn't get the message, and they weren't believing it. They are in a room. The door is locked, and they are afraid because of all the Jews around them, and, you know, they're just afraid that following Jesus now is going to bring them death. And so Jesus comes to them through The locked door doesn't stop Jesus. He comes through into their presence. And here's what he says to them. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. Jesus says, listen, this is actually how God has orchestrated things to work here. My coming, Jesus' coming, is because he was also a sent one. So when God calls Abram to go, and when God calls us to go, this is not just an idea for his followers. It's an idea that comes from the very nature of the missionary God. Jesus was one who was sent. Jesus was one who, when sitting around in the Trinity, however that worked, the mystery of that, the Holy Spirit, God the Father, Jesus, God the Father says, okay, Jesus, we're sending you. The incarnation comes into being. And so he comes and is a baby born. He lives among us and experiences all the difficulty that you and I have faced. He dies and rises again. Jesus is a sent one. So missions means being sent. But secondly here in the text, look back at Genesis chapter 12. The second word here is the word all. So in verse 3 it says this, I will bless those who bless you. So this is God speaking to Abram again. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. All the families of the earth will be blessed. 
God has a heart for all the peoples of the world. All different languages, all different skin colors, all different cultural and you know, uniqueness about them. The whole world is on God's heart. Listen to these verses from Psalm 97, verse 1. The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the many coastlands be glad. Psalm 67, verses 3 and 4 says, Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Even in the New Testament, in Romans chapter 1, verse 5, the Apostle Paul writes this, Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. For the sake of his name among all the nations. Christianity is not just a white Western religion. And if you're challenged by that, or if you ever get challenged by that, all you need to do is point people to the reality that God is building his church. Believers, people are coming to know Christ in every corner of the world. Every corner of the world. Even countries where, you know, with our Canadian passport, we wouldn't be able to get into those places. God is there. God is present. He's building his people and his church in all the corners of the world. And we see here that in Scripture, God is saying, my heart is that all peoples around the world would know me. That all the nations would come and be in relationship with me. Not just to have the title of we are Christian, but to have the experience of knowing life with purpose, life with mud around Jesus. So, Christianity and the message of the gospel is for all peoples. And it is with purpose. He says here in the text that it is to be a, a blessing. So there is, there's a task that's involved, a blessing for all the families of the world. And Abram is confused by this. And so is Sarai. He's like, okay, hey, I don't know how this is going to work. It's going to come through a child somehow in our old age. But God says, through you, all the families of the world will be blessed. And what is this blessing? What is this blessing that God is talking about? Is it is it just the, the good things that we do? The, the way that we care for people around the world? I don't know if you know this, but the majority of hospitals, orphanages, the, you know, the vast number of groups that give aid to uh, those who are in, in trouble of some sort is Christian people, people who follow Jesus. And this is historic over time. And the ministries are still there around the world. So is this just the blessing that God is talking about? That as God's people go out, they're going to experience this blessing of helping those in need. I, I think that's one of, the, one of the benefits that the world should actually experience is the, the goodness that comes from God's people as they follow God and as they care for those around them. But I think actually... There is a deeper blessing here, a blessing that is more profound. And to understand it, if you have a Bible or a phone, look in Galatians chapter 3, because the Apostle Paul helps 
clarify for us the depth of this meaning of blessing that Abraham is experiencing. So let me read these verses from Galatians chapter 3, starting in verse 6. Verse 6 says, Just as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So what is Paul doing here? Paul, in the book of Galatians, is trying to clarify what the gospel is. He's writing to people who are Jews, who in their minds, they are struggling over what the gospel is, and especially the gospel of grace. So Paul says, here's what the gospel is. It is not works. The gospel is not you do good things, and then God looks down and smiles and is really happy with you, and you get the gospel that way. Paul says, here's what the gospel is. The gospel is the grace of God has come. We have experienced the grace of God. So he says to this majority Jewish audience, he says, here's what you need to know. Your hero, Abraham, maybe Abraham and Moses are kind of like tied for the you know, greatest heroes for the Jewish people. So Paul says, here's what I'm saying. Abraham, the one that you look to, the, to the origin of your people, the Jewish nation, he was saved by grace. He was saved by grace. And that experience now, Paul is saying, is something that you can enter into. It's still an invitation for all of us, actually, that we can enter into experiencing the grace of God through faith. And so, along again to verse 9. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So Paul is saying, here's the blessing that God was promising in Genesis to Abraham. Not just the blessing of, you know, helping the poor and helping each other. That, that is a blessing. But there's a deeper blessing here. It's life in the grace of God. And so for the Jewish mind here, you know, they were thinking, man, the benefit is that, you know, monotheism has come into the world. The benefit is that, you know, the world now has Torah and temple worship. And Paul says, no, 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 no. Here is the blessing. That in God's vision for the world, all the peoples around the world would glory in his name because of the grace of Jesus. That every nation, every people would glory in the name of Jesus because of the grace that is given to us in the gospel. And this is what would have like, you know, if, you, if you're ever into, if you ever watch like boxing, you know, they're boxing each other. And then maybe there's what, there's like a right hook that comes or maybe an undercut that just like takes out the opponent. This is the right hook, okay? This is the undercut for the audience here. And it should be for us as well that God has not given us the grace of Jesus Christ for us to just hold on to, but that the grace of Jesus Christ is for the world for all the world, so that all the families of the world, wherever it is, are blessed because of Jesus. So when we come to the verses that, 
Maybe, you know, those of us who have been Christians for a long time, when we think of missions, we think of the Great Commission, right? When we come to Matthew 28 then, verses 19 and 20, we see the, the same call here, the same frame. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So there in the Great Commission and all the way back in Genesis 12, we see the call is the same. We are called to go to all the nations of the world and we're called to bring the good news. The task is to bring the good news, this message of grace that Christ has come into the world. So with this framework from Genesis 12, how do we become a church and a people who are a sending people and a sending church? Because we are here, we're in a place, we're in Elmira, or maybe you live in another town nearby, but we are located in a place here now. And so the calling from Genesis 12 and the calling from either go ourselves or to send people to go and do mission in some capacity. So I just want to highlight five things, okay? There could be others. I probably haven't thought of the best ones even, but these are five that, that I want to kind of have us think about together. And I want you to think about how it can, you know, be applied in your own life and how we can apply it in the context of Citizens Church. So what does it take to be a sending church? Number one, it takes vision. It takes vision. And, and maybe even it takes like, clear vision, okay? Because the thing with vision is vision can um, leak, vision can disappear, we can become distracted by all kinds of things. I think I've mentioned this before. There's a Christian satire movie from like the late 60s, I think it's from like 1967, 68, called The Gospel Blimp. Has anybody seen this movie, The Gospel Blimp? Okay, nobody's seen it. I have the DVD in my office if you're just curious, okay? 1960s, just think of it in your mind, 1960s cheesy Christian movie, okay? Now, here's the point of the movie. The storyline is this, that there's a couple who are believers and they're trying to think of a way to reach their neighbors, okay? They're like missional family, you know? They're like, how do we reach our neighbors with the gospel? And so they start telling all their Christian friends, and, the, and suddenly the ideas come, you know, and the Christian friends are like, man, we could do all kinds of stuff. We could, you know, we could do this, we could do that. Finally, someone says, we could like get a blimp. We could get a blimp and we could put like, you know, like it could trail a sign behind it that says like Jesus saves. Or, or in the movie, they eventually think of the idea, we could like make gospel tracks and put them in these little containers and so they fly the, the blimp up and over the neighbor's yard, they start throwing the gospel, you know, tracks down into their yard. And you get the premise of the movie, okay? The idea is this. They're so busy. Committee meetings, blimp repairs, you know, rolling the tracks up. They're so busy that they've actually lost the ability to see that the neighbors are right there. Like the neighbors are 20 feet away. And it's so easy for all of us to lose vision. 
A vision that is clear in Genesis 12. A vision that is summarized for us in the Great Commission in Matthew 28. And somehow, it's just like busyness of life comes up. And we're just distracted. And, and even, you know, myself as, as pastor and thinking of like stuff with the building and thinking about where are we going next. I mean, legitimate things that are, you know, things that we're praying about and asking the Lord for, they can distract us from God's vision for the nations. And so we need, all of us need, corporately reminding over and over again, God's heart is for the nations. There are people around the world who have never heard the name of Jesus. Can you believe that? They've never heard the name of Jesus yet. They need to hear about who Jesus is and what he has done. So the first thing to become a sending church is clear vision. The second thing is this, that it takes people to do it. So AI is great. You know, chat GPT, wonderful. Maybe there'll be like an AI missionary someday. I don't know. But God has designed missions to be done through people, which should sound like a terrible idea for you, okay? We're not that good at most things, and we would never do it this way. This is only God who would choose to do it this way. You know, you think of those fires that are raging in Alberta right now. Nobody in this room would have the idea like this. Here's what we should do. We've got all these kids in Sunday school right now. Let's fly the kids over. They can fight these fires for us. They'll do wonderful. We've trained them well, okay? Nobody would have an idea like that. And yet here God has made his, the way that his message is going to spread around the world, the way that he's actually going to accomplish his purposes is through people. Through people like you and I. Regular people. People who feel inadequate. People whose lives are still touched by sin in so many ways. And yet God has said the way that this is going to be done is people will be sent. Abram, Sarai, go. Citizens Church, find people who will go. They may be in the Sunday school rooms right now, it's possible. Or they may be right here in this room. Or maybe they're even on the stage right now. Who knows? God only knows, but here's how God has made it to be. It's going to be people who will go and tell this message to others. So it takes people. Thirdly, it takes finances. Every, every endeavor that God does in this world takes finances. I looked up this week. It's, it's amazing what is on the internet. You know, the things that you can find on the, on the internet. Um, somebody, this guy has like, catalog all the details of the Apostle Paul's missionary journeys, okay? So he has calculated, because we've got clarity in the book of Acts, where Paul went and when he took a ship and when he walked. So this guy calculated all the roads that Paul would have walked on, all the, the times he would have taken a ship. Maybe he would have had to, like, stay in a little, you know, hotel at this time. And he has actually calculated all the costs of Paul's missionary journeys. 1,030 denarii for Paul's three missionary journeys. Means nothing to me either, okay? 1,030 denarii is $60,000, 253 cents. 
That's what it would have cost Paul to go on his three missionary journeys. Paul wasn't doing that for free. Paul was actually going out and it cost him money to take ships, to write letters, to stay in places. And the way that God has actually designed this to work is that God's people at times will actually work to fulfill that mission. So Paul gives examples where he is in a place and he has a job and he pays for himself to do that ministry. But then there's other times where God actually uses his people to help someone to do that ministry. So Paul has other times where he says, I'm not doing any work. I'm focused on this church plant or on this work or on this letter writing. And other people are going to actually give to that ministry. And how is it that God actually does this? God does it through his people who are living in a, a unique kind of abundance. So in 2 Corinthians 8, you can read the story this week if you want, Paul is actually thanking the believers in Macedonia for giving to the need in Jerusalem. And Paul says, this is amazing that they are actually collecting and sending money in mission to this place. And what's key to this story is the, the energy behind that is unexpected. It's two things. Paul says, firstly, it's their joy. Paul says, this is how they're actually able to do this, to give. It's their joy. And in the second thing, Paul says, it's their poverty. Their joy and their poverty. So most of us think, I'll give to missions when I got some extra cash. You know, when I can, when I can handle life's responsibilities and I can have a little bit extra to enjoy life, then I'll give to missions. Paul says, actually, that's not how it works. The believers in Macedonia gave out of an abundance of poverty and an abundance of joy. Their love for Christ was actually what compelled them to give to the work that God was doing. So it takes finances as well. Number four, it takes a willingness. And, and this is one that, uh, for me at least, cuts deep. It takes a willingness to suffer for the sake of the gospel, but not necessarily the way you're thinking of it. Um, it. I mean, it would be difficult to suffer persecution and difficulty on the mission field, but it takes a willingness, thinking for us corporately as a congregation, a willingness to send people out, to get to know people, to grow in relationship with them, and then to send them out on mission is really hard. If you've really grown to love them and enjoy their presence, to see them leave is a challenge and one that can actually flow because unwilling to be used by God. Unwilling to send people out because we're just like, we're just going to miss them. It's going to be hard to see them leave and be gone for a short term or maybe for a long term. That's just too painful. And yet this willingness has to be there so that God can use us to be a church that sends people out a willingness. Lastly, and we'll close with this, it takes a message. So in Romans chapter 10, verse 14 and 15, Paul says this, How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? 
Paul poses the question, if the gospel is for the nations and the nations have not heard, how are they going to hear? How is this possible? And how are they going to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach or the best they are sent? And then he says this as a summary. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. This is the message we bring. We don't bring the message of, man, you need like better technology. You need better clothes to wear. We bring with us the message of the good news. This message that Christ has come. That our God is a missionary God who loves all the peoples of the world. And that Jesus has come and lived on this planet. He's experienced life like us. And he was accused and he was beaten and he was hung on a cross and he died. There's witnesses who've recorded seeing Jesus die and say his last words. But he didn't stay there. The reason why we believe in Jesus and the reason why we have confidence in the faith that we have is because he rose from the dead. There are witnesses again, hundreds of witnesses who gave testimony to seeing the risen Jesus. So Jesus is in a category like nobody else. There's other great leaders. There's other religions that worship all kinds of people who've done all kinds of things. Nobody has risen from the dead. And this is the good news that we worship a risen Savior, that Jesus saves. And his saving then comes into our lives. We don't just experience it someday. It's not just a future thing of going to, you know, be pulled out of this terrible world and into God's presence in heaven. We experience resurrection power now so that others are blessed when they're by us. They're blessed by our congregation. But it's because of the good news so what is our motivation for missions? Is it that we follow Jesus' example? Is it that we are given the Great Commission and this is just something we got to do? And those answers would be valid and would be yes. But I think a clearer answer is something that John Stott wrote. John Stott, a well-known missiologist, he wrote this. Here lies the supreme missionary motivation it is neither obedience to the Great Commission, nor compassion for the lost, nor excitement over the gospel, but zeal, even jealousy, for the honor of Christ's name. No incentive is stronger than the longing that Christ should be given the honor that is due his name. Our missionary zeal grows as our love for God and our clarity of vision comes closer in line with God's vision for the world. Let me close by reading Psalm 96. God's heart on display through this poetry. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations. His marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. 
Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Lord, tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, The Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this grand vision that you have for the world. Lord, we are inadequate for the task, and we are distracted by our own problems and our own desires. And so, Father, would you clarify for us again over these next couple weeks and over the next months, your heart for the nations. And God, will we be willing servants of yours to accomplish this task in any greater small ways that you give, give us to accomplish. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.